Welcome to The Glow Show from Grow Lab Organics, hosted by Charlie Lyons. Hey everyone, thanks for checking in. Let's all lock into another week of the show. I hope you are relaxed. I hope you are ready uh, because it's time for another journey into the power of cannabis. We are rolling out of a brilliant show last week with Hannah Deacon and Professor Mike Barnes. I mean, how much fun were those guys? Um, awesome stuff. We took a deep dive into the UK market, how it's shaping up after uh, being legal for a few years. We, we touched on the good, the bad, and some of the ugly. And this week, we're keeping the UK vibe alive with a look at doctors, prescribing, and how cannabis can help a number of different conditions. And we are doing this with none other than the wonderful Dr. Leon Baron. Leon is uh, one of the leading forces in UK cannabis. He is well known to many of you. He's the executive uh, committee member of the MCCS. Uh, he's a founder, or he's the founder, rather, of the Primary Care Cannabis Network, the PCCN, doing great work with the medical community. He's also a member of the Conservative Party Drug Reform Group. He's involved with drug science. Uh, you name it, he's, he's there. Uh, he's a, a big deal in the UK scene. Uh, but what I love most about Leon is that he's got this great creative background in music and he's a, he's a breath of fresh air to us all. You know, he's one of the good people of cannabis and um, he's always been a, you know, a real good friend to the Glow team and has helped and advised us with a lot of stuff. So I'm really delighted to have him on the show this week. And without further ado, let's get stuck right in. Well, Leon, welcome to the Glow Show. Thank you very much for joining us today. I wondered for the audience at home if you could kick off in our conventional fashion with a little bit of an intro to you and your background, and then maybe your proudest moment in your cannabis journey so far. Uh, yes. So for those of you that don't know me, I'm a doctor. I'm a GP. And I guess I've been involved in this space for the best part of four or five years now. So day to day, I'm a I'm a, what I would describe as a portfolio GP. I've got quite a varied work life in, in that sense. Most of my work is NHS clinical work. Um, I do some out-of-hours shifts for one-on-one. I, I do a little bit of teaching as well at University College London. I tutor medical students. And the cannabis work at this stage in my career sort of fits around that and slots into really around my, 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 my clinical work. But within the cannabis space, I guess my focus has been largely on education. So I was uh, one of the early founding members of the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, along with Mike Barnes and Danny Gordon, who some of your listeners might, might know. And I also founded the Primary Care Cannabis Network, which was um, set up really to try and find like-minded GPs who would be interested in learning more about this emerging area of clinical medicine. And um, in addition to those projects, I also, I'm involved with the Drug Science Medical Cannabis Working Group and the Conservative Drug Policy Reform Group. So yeah, I keep myself busy, basically. I was going to say, um, like, when do you have time for a life in all of that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you get things done. What do they say? If you want something done, you ask a busy person. I think it'd be really good to start given all of those different components that you're involved with to just give um, the listeners uh, we've had a legal medicinal market since November, 2018. Um, it's been quite a while now. Can you just break down 
the current system, how it works for those that want to access cannabis as a medicine, just in fairly layman terms, just so everyone can get clear on, on the state of play at the moment? I mean, I'll try and keep it simple because it, it can sound a bit complicated, but but actually it's a really good point because a lot of people don't even know that medical yeah. cannabis is legal to start with. So I think you have raised a really relevant point. So look, in 2018, cannabis was rescheduled from a Schedule 1 drug, which was deemed as having no medicinal properties, to a Schedule 2 drug. And that basically meant that, first of all, the government recognised cannabis or cannabis-derived products as having medical value, um, having therapeutic medicinal value. And it meant that that actually a, a doctor um, could then prescribe cannabis. They did stipulate that only a specialist doctor could initiate a script. So GPs under the current law cannot initiate a script, but they may be asked to reissue a script under the guidance of a specialist. So, so the law is very clear in that any doctor on the specialist register can prescribe a cannabis-based medical product of their choice in line with the best interests of a patient if it's deemed appropriate. The, the, the problem lies more in the, um, in the funding of medicines and the recognition of evidence-based and wider kind of application of these medicines to the general public. So essentially what we're finding is that scripts are either not being written or they're being blocked and the focus keeps coming around to either lack of evidence or the fact that, that doctors aren't prepared to prescribe these, these medicines. The other important distinction to make at this stage is there's a great difference between a licensed medicine and an unlicensed medicine. And we only have a couple of licensed medicines in the UK. And by licensed, I mean, these drugs have been through traditional pharmaceutical, uh, through a traditional pharmaceutical route. And they've been compared to placebos uh, through a large uh, cohort of patients. So we've got two products in the UK that are made by GW Pharma, who are a UK company. One of them is Epidiolex, which is essentially purified CBD. The other product they make is Sativex, uh, which is a one-to-one -one ratio of THC and CBD. Now, Sativex is licensed for spasticity and MS. So it specifically has a license for that use, and it will be funded by the NHS. Epidiolex uh, is licensed with the addition of clobazam, which is a more traditional pharmaceutical drug uh, for two very specific types of epilepsy. So what you have to understand is the licensed medicines that will be funded and will be more comfortably prescribed by specialists um, are only for two very, very specific indications. And when we talk about medical cannabis in its broader sense, we're really talking about the 99% of products that patients hear about or clinics and various other things that are on the market that are unlicensed medicines. It doesn't mean that they can't be prescribed, but they haven't been through those trials. They won't be um, funded for by, by NHS, through the NHS systems, if you like. Mm -hmm. So what it's meant is that through the NHS, we will see continue to see a small number of licensed cannabis-based medicines being prescribed. Uh, but the unlicensed medicines that are perhaps have a much wider range of applications or benefits for patients, unfortunately, are only currently being prescribed in private clinics. But if we if we can as well, then just to sort of finish that journey, can you just talk us through the private clinics and how that works? Because I think you've been articulate and clear on the NHS and some of the complications yeah. there around the license and unlicensed. So just to close off for the listeners, the 
the journey at the moment on the private because obviously there's a cost it's a bit more yeah so for anyone that's interested in in receiving medical cannabis or feels it might benefit them you you do have currently have the option of a private clinic and there are quite a few now that exist in the uk Uh, you simply do a google search and you'll find quite a few that come up now these clinics employ private specialists most of the time you'll see pain specialists psychiatrists um, general physicians perhaps a few rheumatologists and they're largely managing common conditions like chronic pain anxiety insomnia ptsd perhaps and essentially they work like any other part of private medicine the patient pays for a consultation they pay for the product for the uh for the medical cannabis and um essentially there's a wide range of cannabis-based medicines that could be prescribed for those patients but that that route is accessible and most patients most of the time will end up with a script they of course have to assess patients backgrounds and whether there's reasons why the patient shouldn't be um, prescribed medical cannabis but essentially for those people in the uk that can afford to pay albeit rather expensive fees for to, to see doctors and to receive products uh, will tend to end up with a medicine with a, with a script for, med- for medical cannabis and and leon just on that as well then the, the current kind of uh products that are available from the private clinics it's generally flour and oil isn't it it's not it's that and and everything seems to be imported from canada or other markets at yeah. the moment is that still the case from to my knowledge yes most of the uh, medicines are prescribed in either an oil form or flour and yeah i think you know in time i suspect we'll see newer f- formulations or different delivery methods and so on as the market evolves and the science catches up but yes i mean often it's it's flour and you see that's that's often great for patients it works really well but that's kind of a hard thing sometimes for a doctor to get their head around those doctors that aren't working in those settings yeah yeah of course so that's that's a really good analysis of, of everything that's going on what do you think out of those different routes is is kind of working or what's failing in the current setup because it, it is over it's three and a half roughly years and we're still i think mike barnes said the other week when he was on the show that there's maybe fifteen thousand patients but we all know the kind of numbers the 1.4 million is the famous one that of, of sort of daily users in the UK from medicinal. Then you've got a range of between two and 4 million potentially daily addressable. If you could bring through some of those other audiences that might be curious to try cannabis or aren't prepared to break the law, but like the idea of it. And then there's a whole education piece about, you know, what can and can't work um, because cannabis isn't for everyone, but it obviously has some really great benefits across 23 26 different types of conditions so what what do you think is working and and not working with with where we are and and what would be any recommendations of how you would like to see things change yeah it's a good question i mean there's a lot that i don't think that i think isn't working Mm. personally i feel that the that the the legislation has sort of allowed the emergence of a private sector that essentially um I, i guess it's sort of it it's allowed certain specialists to come through and prescribe, but other people in the space or other doctors such as GPs haven't been able to perhaps embrace it like others have. 
So I've noticed, I mean, over the last few years, I've met a lot of psychiatrists in particular um, and, and pain specialists who, because they know they can prescribe something new and they're allowed to do that, uh, particularly in a private setting, they've come forward and they've looked for education and they've looked to learn or taken on a prescribing course or signed up to our societies or joined the clinic. Whereas the GP community who are, what, something like 35,000 doctor GPs in the UK, really are not, because it's not um, something that they can actively be involved in at the moment, I don't think they're so proactive when it comes to education and expanding their knowledge in this in the, in that sense so um so i think that's a great shame that doc, the gps can't be more involved because they are elsewhere yeah in every almost every country where cannabis has been legalized for medical use the predominantly is gps who are prescribing do you think that's because we're inherently more conservative here yes i think so i mean we are conservative in in the sense that our medical regulatory bodies are I think more conservative than the average. And I also think that there's a sort of underlying sentiment in the GP community or perhaps amongst regulators that it would be seen as additional, an additional workload to an already struggling GP force workforce. Mm-hmm. Now I see it completely differently and I think the right type of medical cannabis, if you like, um, with the right type of prescribers in a primary care setting would hugely reduce some workload for for gps and patient outcomes would be better i think there would be cost savings across a whole range of areas um i think we'd see see really good results and the reason i say that so confidently is we've seen it elsewhere so australia i think australia is a really interesting example of how allowing gps the uh, the option of prescribing means that more and more of them come forward and, and learn about it and start prescribing. And Australia is not too different to, to how the UK operates. Mm. Um, in terms of its training of doctors and the way that medicine's practiced, it's very, very similar to the UK. The financing of medicines, and the, obviously they don't have an NHS, but they, they've somehow allowed or um, facilitated wider access and wider GP prescribing. We've also seen the similar pattern in in the channel islands where gps are the main prescribers and throughout most of europe and north america so going back to your initial question i i do think the lack of gp prescribing is a hurdle to wider education wider dialogue i do understand to a degree why nice and nhs have not just completely opened up the funding of cannabis-based medicines. So I'm not so black and white in saying, okay, it should be free for all and it's yeah. prescribed by anyone. And it, I do think that there are clearly still gaps in knowledge, in evidence-based and, and other factors that maybe mean that NICE won't just give it the green light. But I do think clearly that needs to be revisited and that there are loads of other ways of looking at how this could be integrated more widely into NHS practice and funded by the NHS. Do you, think, um, do you think we need more observational studies? Because we know the plant doesn't really fit into the traditional RCT model, like you, you referenced it earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike and Hannah talk about as botanical medicine rather than you know, right. the classic pharmaceutical. So it is more complex yeah. and people do exactly. process it differently through their own endocannabinoid system. So exactly. do we need more of that observational stuff like Project yeah, yeah. 2021 and drugs? We science? do, of course. Um, and I think... You see, the problem is trying to fit this medicine and this plant into the current infrastructure 
And that's why I kind of touched upon NICE in the NHS. Like they're very set in their ways about how they assess whether a drug is funded or whether it's approved for a certain condition or certain cohort of patients. So, you know, the way around that might be to say, well, first of all, we need to look at different sources of different types of evidence base. And we touch upon the observational data that is now building in volume and, um, and, you know, there's other countries actively across the world who are collating this type of inf- um, information and evidence, or whether we just also needed a completely different approach. And I mean, Mike, you mentioned Mike and Hannah, but Mike Barnes has always been an advocate for uh, an office of medical cannabis or a government entity yeah. that kind of regulates and oversees this and finds, finds its place in the ecosystem yeah. because it's clearly not working at the moment, this this kind of game of waiting for for evidence to come through or RCTs, et cetera. Like there are ways of, I think, of treating patients and collecting the evidence at the same time as the patient is is receiving medication. So yeah, I, I think it's a again, it's a really complicated area. There's not it's not one thing or the other, it's just a discussion. And I think the, if you get the right people on it or the right minds, it can be done well and it can benefit everyone. Do you think the government is doing enough to support the growth of the sector? Because, I mean, they have obviously did the difficult bit of, of giving us the opportunity to build a, a legal medicinal industry to start yeah. with. And maybe that will give way to adult use in years to come, we, we can see. But yeah. do you think they're doing enough or is it distracted by, like, there's obviously a lot going on in the world at the moment? I don't think they are doing enough, personally. Yeah. I yeah. think um, the law change was reactive I think to a to a, uh, a situation that we we that Hannah found herself in and other parents of epileptic children, and I think the government rightly reviewed the evidence. They changed the law, but they didn't think any longer term than that, and they've almost handed it over to the 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 medical establishment and the college and the royal colleges and the governing bodies to say, well, we did our bit. Now it's your your turn to sort of try and work through this, mm. and. I think simple, simple changes or amendments, perhaps to legislation, would change dramatically the the landscape. So one of them, I think, would be GP prescribing. The other, the other area that I think, personally, these these are all my personal opinions, but needs readdressing is the scheduling of cannabis. I'm just simply moving cannabis from a Schedule Two to Schedule Four cannabis-based medicines. I think would also uh, greatly improve patient access and uh, resistance amongst prescribers. So, so I think the government could do more. And obviously, the economic argument is a whole conversation in itself. But yeah, I mean, it just you feels. Look at Colorado or any of the yeah examples that are, are well worn, right? It's pretty clear. Absolutely. I mean, you know, in a post-COVID uh, recession, yeah, it's a it's a taxable industry, yeah. and it could be put to really good use. For the government and it could create jobs domestic jobs domestic industry it's yeah coming back to the schedule two to schedule four just can you just qualify the is that again it's de-risking making it easier for prescribing clinicians it's stigma falling yeah. away it's all of that stuff right well yeah exactly so the scheduling of a drug really it refers to the restrictions that apply to prescribing and the monitoring of, of certain controlled drugs so you've got five schedules of, of drugs and schedule two drugs are, some of them are quite dangerous. I mean, a lot of strong opioids are schedule two, um, lots of other addictive 
dangerous drugs. And it just means they have to be stored very securely. You can only prescribe a, one of these types of medicines for a month at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, there's handling restrictions. There's all kinds of things that uh, prescribers and pharmacists have to adhere to. They just slow the process down and make it more expensive and more difficult. Mm -hmm. there's, there's very little evidence that supports that would say that cannabis should sit in that category of schedule two mm -hmm. and interestingly um sativex which we spoke about earlier which is thc and cbd is a schedule four drug you know simple things like that that are not really based on evidence i don't know what they're based on yeah because um i think they're probably based on historical um prejudice and fear of of, yeah. of cannabis but they have real knock-on effects for prescribers and for patients yeah and for, and for the industry for companies like yourselves and others that yeah. are producing cannabis um just getting product moving and getting it distributed yeah, make our life a lot easier for sure you know yeah exactly so yeah the scheduling is something that perhaps could be could be reviewed and i know there are certain groups and individuals who have brought this up in conversation and informed the i think it's, it's the acmd who, who monitor this but um to my knowledge no there's no um to reschedule yeah what to, let's talk specifically about efficacy and you know what cannabis is being used for uh currently uh from the prescribing uh or against a number of conditions so i i've seen various reports i'm sure lots of the listeners have as well where do you really see the sort of sweet spot for prescribing cannabis medicines at the moment you, you've mentioned um some of the licensed stuff across you know ms and epilepsy but talk more about some of the other um uses and and the efficacy that we can see if you look at the data coming out of t21 which is a large observational study that's under underway at the moment in the uk what they're doing is extracting data from clinics and patients that are part of this trial uh, part of this registry and by far the most common conditions that are being prescribed are chronic pain Mm -hmm. and um, anxiety along with this kind of other other common things that we see in primary care such as um, depression insomnia um, ptsd then you get kind of more into perhaps more specialized um, conditions or rarer conditions so when you talk about a sweet spot i think what's becoming very clear with cannabis is there isn't sort of a one size fits all or this is going to be right for X, Y, Z. It's more a case of finding the right type of cannabis-based medicine for the right person. And a lot of these conditions that we've just spoken about often overlap with each other. Yeah. So I think probably where, where I see the sweet spot would, would be chronic pain, but more in terms of I'm, I'm picturing these complex patients that I often look after who suffer with one uh, some form of chronic pain and don't forget there's lots of different types of pain and causes of pain but a lot of these long-term pain conditions have a knock-on effect and people often end up depressed or yeah. they suffer with a lack of sleep or you know they find themselves out of work and financially under other stresses and pressures and so on so the again you know the conditions i don't think you don't you're almost not doing it justice by break it into like you know pain anxiety because so many of these things overlap yeah and that's where i think the sweet spot is is the overlapping chronic illnesses mm. that could really benefit from this and this is bread and butter gp work yeah 
you know, this is where we often fail our patients in primary care because the current treatments that are on offer and the current pathways often, not for everyone, but for some patients don't work and they don't yeah. work well enough. And it's just a cycle of misery, basically. It's really true. And it plays out in everything that we hear from patients we speak to as well. It's, it is that quality of life. It isn't just a sort of one and done, oh, it's just pain or it's just anxiety. As you say, the knock-on effect of the condition in terms of the overall well-being of an individual is what you have to look at when you're trying to say, well, if I consume this medicine, in this case, it's a cannabis-based medicinal product, it's helping me sleep a bit better at night. It's dealing with my anxiety and generally I I feel a bit better about myself. So my quality of life improves. And yeah, that's what we always say at Glow is the mission is to help people live better. You can't conclusively prove you can cure or absolutely prevent but you you can use cannabis as a medicine to improve the quality of life and help you live better so it's really interesting really to hear about that it's the overlapping where you find those areas which you have opportunity to really help people because isolating stuff it kind of it's not as straightforward as that really is it exactly and it's also just having options i mean it might not be right for someone but it might be right for someone else Mm -hmm. I think the reason it sort of resonates with me and the more I learn about medical cannabis and the more I speak to patients and, and uh, explore it and learn about it is that often these stories speak for themselves and the patients demonstrate that there is something out there that can really improve suffering and improve quality of life. Mm. And um, because of its excellent safety profile, yeah. I just feel that there's, Personally, I feel there's a place for it on sort of front line, really, and that we should be finding a way of offering it to certain patients. It is one of the things, isn't it? It's like any time a new drug is brought to market, the number one concern has to always be safety. And then because obviously cannabis has been used for so many thousands of years by civilization, humanity, whatever way you want to look at it. And it has this unbelievable safety record. So it's being used anyway. I mean, we spoke about the one, one and a half million people, but... I've got dozens of patients that use cannabis for mm. all kinds of things, yeah. but up until recently, they, they don't have the confidence to talk about it or yeah, yeah, yeah. discuss it. Well, it's all changing. So Leon, you mentioned the, the PCCN, the primary care cannabis network earlier, which you, was you lead. Can you tell, tell us more about that? Tell us about the role and what your hopes are for how that um, organization is going to evolve and have a, a leading hand in some of what's going on in around access. I mean, it started off as a little project, really just a, um, just something that I, I put together myself because I, I found that I was feeling a bit isolated in this space in that many of my colleagues didn't, weren't particularly either interested in it or they had these sort of deep-rooted prejudice against cannabis. But I did find that through conferences and webinars and things and through the cannabis community, I, I found there were GPs out there dotted across the UK who were way more open to this and interested in it particularly um, within the fields of integrated medicine and sort of these corners of general practice that you perhaps find slightly different type of doctor or people that are looking at things differently. So I basically just put together, put together this group and it's made up of really a, a working group of GPs who are interested in learning more and pushing this conversation forward. And then I try to sort of just to distill down all the information that I had been learning, most of it off my own back, into one place that perhaps GPs could just 
reference if they needed to or wanted to. So I feel that the, I actually felt that the guidelines that were being offered by some of the more official bodies, if you like, were not, were not fully in line with actually what was like the reality of this, this area. I just wanted to create a platform that doctors could go on GPs and they could find all the information at their fingertips for, for themselves or for patients if and when they kind of wanted to discuss medical cannabis. And I've also recognized the fact that so many people now are, first of all, using CBD products, over-the-counter CBD, and a lot of them go into their GPs. And in time, I think more and more patients will be aware of medical cannabis or will be accessing treatment. So I think there's a great need to kind of just normalize the conversation. And just by having a group of GPs present in this space, I think it's sort of a duty that I have to to use our professional background to kind of yeah. give legitimacy to this and say like this is a real science this is a real medicine and it deserves um it deserves this platform and it deserves to be taken seriously it's it's, it's a good segue into kind of what I was going to ask you next really about you know, how how your peers have received you moving into cannabis you know when you talk to Hannah or any of the kind of the, the cannabis mothers who have fought so hard to to law change and continue to lobby government, you know, the pediatric side of it where there's just maybe one, if that currently prescribing on the children's side of things, how do you still see there is that stigma resistance negativity or is it changing? You obviously you've got your network, which are positive around cannabis and, or is it going to be a generational thing where it's kind of like, in 10 years time, this sort of younger set of doctors that are coming through will just be like, well, cannabis is just a tool in the toolbox and we're all very comfortable with it. Well, I think it's, it, it's moving in the right direction slowly. Mm. So when I think back to 2017, 2018, there were pretty much, you could count it almost on one hand, how many doctors I think were actively in, in this space. Now there's probably about 100 plus prescribers in the private sector. And, um, and more and more are coming forwards and showing an interest. And I know that because I see the membership numbers creeping up, mm. Medical Cannabis Clinician Society and, and, and within the PCCN. I think a lot of it is driven by patients who are talking more about it and, and media coverage of this. And I don't need, we're very lucky in the UK in that we can learn from other established markets. And the trend, as soon as you legalize, is for more doctors to end up coming through and taking an interest and an active role in it so it's slow i think it's particularly slow in the uk but i have seen a shift and i'm meeting more and more groups of doctors who are interested funnily enough it was only a week a couple of weeks ago i I got invited to sit in a psych a psychiatry group working group quite local to where i live actually and it was about 15 adolescent psychiatrists, adult um, psychiatrists who have put together a working group on medical cannabis because they're learning more about the benefits and they want to find treatments for their patients that might work. And they know they can prescribe as well. So, so, you know, there is a shift and it's happening, but it's happening quite slowly. When you talk, you, you asked about stigma, there are two comments that ring in my ears from 2018. One of them is, um, don't get involved with legal drug peddling, and uh, and snake oil was another one that I had from right, a, yeah. from a from a, a slightly older GP colleague 
Um, but that was a knee-jerk reaction to the fact that I was talking about medical cannabis. And fortunately, I've not had so much of that in the last couple of years, if at all. I think there's, there has been a shift. And what I find is if you just, all you need is about half an hour, I think, with a group of doctors or, or a doctor and to talk about it in a, in a different light and to kind of focus in on the science and the, mm. the, the evidence and all these key things that, that basically um, that, that we know about. Doctors often go away feeling that they've got a different perspective on it. Mm. So um, it is amazing. It doesn't. It's so often that narrative around converting the few, because whether it's doctors in your case, in your example, or yeah. if you talk to Carly Barton when she's talking to the police, yeah, uh, she might present to thirty police officers, and there's maybe one or two in the room which are really against, and her focus is always on converting those one or two versus you're pushing an open door with the other 28 because they're like look we really don't want to bust people for cannabis because yes. it's a waste of our time and the war of drugs is is not been a success so you know it's uh it is interesting about those things i just want to touch on you comment around speed three prescriptions written by the nhs in the last basically we're on one a year at the moment it seems in the last three and a half years so What's going wrong there? Is it is it as you say that the nice and NHS yeah. is sort of it comes down to medicine and it comes down to nice mm. really the, the NHS access because if nice don't approve something, you'll find that the wider NHS won't won't advocate it. Yeah. And the funding, so say a say for example, someone received a script for a medical cannabis product in a private clinic and they wrote to the GP and said would you mind reissuing this? It would just be blocked straight away because um, there's nothing preventing a doctor, a GP prescribing it under a shared care arrangement. But the CCG, who is like a commissioning group, and they hold the purse strings, if you like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't fund it, they wouldn't approve it because they would then go back to NICE and say, well, NICE don't approve it for pain yeah. or for this. So we're not going to pay for it. And, and any specialist who tries to prescribe within their NHS trust. So if you're a pain specialist, for example, and you're working in an NHS hospital, it would often get blocked by the medical directors and the, the, the people that oversee the prescribing part and the funding. So there's just a sort of general acceptance that it's not going to happen through those channels. Yeah, yeah it's disappointing. Okay, I've got to ask you, strains versus effects you know this is a this is a, a one we discuss a lot because if people are buying from you know the street let's say um a lot of the time it is sort of a strain based purchase you know whether you're getting gorilla glue or whatever on the prescribing side i always think about you know do you are you comfortable prescribing 30 grams of green crack or are you really trying to look for the effect that that particular flower will give the patient and given that everyone, you know, has a different response to certain uh, flowers or strains, how, how do you kind of go through that process? And is that part of some of the conundrum when it comes to prescribing where, you know, you've got this sort of strain versus effect and everyone is a bit different? I'm not prescribing currently. I'm not an active prescriber. So I can only comment on the sort of observations of what's going on. I think most of this is driven by patients who sort of know what they want because mm. Um, they've either done their own research or they've perhaps been using cannabis source from the illicit market. And I think doctors often, some colleagues I know, sometimes feel like their hands are tied a bit or that they're, they're 
very much it's not necessarily a bad thing actually like it's good practice for a doctor to work with a patient and yeah, try hand in hand hand in hand and work out what what's right i mean most go through this sort of start low go slow start low approach so you know there is going to be resistance to very high thc strains particularly for cannabis naive patients so that's the general pattern of prescribing in the uk i think fundamentally this question and to sort of answer it properly or look at the long-term sweet spot if you like is data and data-driven products and i suspect the the companies or the products that end up with dominant in, in the marketplace have data that supports use for particular conditions and actually i think the patient community is a wonderful also like a really useful source to gather that data and what I've certainly found is talking to patients, particularly those of skilled, they're either long-term users or they may have even cultivated their own strains mm. You know, the, the knowledge on genetics and it's amazing. Types of strains is phenomenal. So yeah. there could there could be lots of overlap in that sense with I was actually gonna ask you about that because you know, obviously we've got a really sophisticated legacy industry in Britain. Yeah. And do you think enough is being done to kind of leverage and learn from those either patients users growers cultivators there's there's just so much unbelievable knowledge that resides within yeah. um this country and and it's almost like all this money's pouring in and everyone's sort of almost forgetting about people that have been taking a lot of risk to serve people that really need cannabis as a medicine and and i, I think there's such a huge amount of knowledge and you talked about job creation earlier i think i think more can be done i just wonder do you think there is that kind of lean into the legacy market to help us inform you know, the legal market? I mean, I certainly feel that patients should be playing a more active role and patient communities who have knowledge in this, in this space should be playing a more active role in advising government or advising um, the commercial world on, you know, on, on these things. But I do think that it's a little bit of a mess, the ecosystem, in that we're at the end of a few thousand years of cultivating of cannabis strains so that so actually, these are plants, complicated plants with lots of different um, genetics and strains and profiles. So it's actually quite hard to sort of untease all that data and to mm. refine it. And that's where I think it does have to predominantly be led by, by industry and by groups that can sort of do that research and try and isolate those cannabinoids and look at them in, you know, working synergistically with each other and mm. combining strains. I mean, there's loads of interesting projects particularly in israel where they're looking at um combining cannabis with other medicines or other natural products to see what those synergistic what kind um, of things are they are they doing um, you know it's it's beyond my remit in this but i know having spoken to daddy mary at the technion mm. he, he runs canisol analytics yeah um company out there that they're they're not only looking at cannabis in isolation but i think they're looking at mushrooms and other yeah. other plants that have active medicinal properties and how by combining those you may get an even greater therapeutic effect and so yeah. on so you know there's it's almost like there's too much information in some ways and it, it's quite a skill to distill it down into very sophisticated trials and yeah and uh, listen formulations and delivery it's kind of been like the the dam's broken uh of yeah. medicine you know cannabis obviously was we talk about it a lot on the show. It's been the sort of battering ram. The psychedelics have come behind it. You know, you've got sure. stuff going on with MDMA and ketamine and 
yeah. everything else it's all it's all there but it's like there's so much to learn and discover in what's been such a, na- a minute amount of time really in 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 the grand scheme of things i think the next 10 15 20 years is where it's going to be really interesting and exciting and from my perspective you know i think everyone at the moment is kind of being uh you're in that post prohibition you know everyone's like oh everything's safe don't worry like we we don't want to take any risks you know we've got to wait for the stigma to fall away but you will probably find in in 10 in a decade we're yeah. almost taking it like Barocca. You know, it's just yeah, I think so. Not even anything to worry about. And I'm quite excited by the the wider application. So I'm not a purist in the sense that I just believe in whole plant cannabis product. I'm I think there's going to be really interesting synthetic cannabinoids, mm. drugs that target the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, uh, natural endocannabinoids that may be utilised for, for medical purposes. So I think it's just a whole like a really broad. Mm. subject a really broad area of medicine that offers so much therapeutic potential and and getting into that like we're obviously really focused on the sort of whole planet glow but i am interested in the the concept of personalized medicine and you know anuj has had some great people on his show talking about you know really people understanding their own endocannabinoid system and then which cannabinoid profiles will work really well for them for specific effects and you could easily see in the future people you know formulating their own stuff depending on what time of day it is you know am i trying to be energized in the morning do i want to be sleepy at night do i want to have something which is going to help me focus to write or be a present in something it's really exciting where all of that could go and i think it is really back to your point about education understanding and once the stigma falls away and everyone just realizes that this is something which has been used for medicinal purposes to improve the performance of humans for thousands of years um, there isn't anything to really be afraid of. It's just about getting it right for the individual to mean that you can optimize yourself, whether you're treating conditions or just trying to, you know, live better in whatever it is you're doing. Um, that is really, really powerful and the most exciting part about what's coming next for me. I think so. And I, and I think in 10 years, I mean, it might take that long, but it will just be completely normal. Yeah, exactly. Cannabis, there'll be a whole broad range of cannabis-based medicines that doctors yeah. prescribe or patients may be able to just access. I don't know how it's going to evolve, but I certainly think it's just going to become normal and yeah. the stigma would just fall away. Yeah. Uh, Leon, a couple of my staple questions to finish off. What's exciting you about cannabis right now? I'm excited just by the the variety of people in this space and these. Mm. I think it's a melting pot of forward thinking, largely forward thinking people who can all bring different skill sets to the sector that's probably the most exciting thing for me personally is the range of people i've got to meet in this space and the different yeah backgrounds that people bring that excites me most because i think that just i think collaboration is the only way forward and that's how you produce good outcomes for for everyone totally agree i think one of the if there has been a positive in some of the slow pace over here uh, it's been that people have been able to find each other and form connections and build knowledge bases together because, you know, none of us have all the answers and we're all learning as we go. So you want to have good quality allegiances and partnerships. And the exciting part of a new industry is that you build it in the best vision of how you want it to be. And yeah, there'll be people that maybe don't have shared values and belief systems, but luckily a lot of good people are finding each other, which is cool. 
So on the other side, what's what's frustrating at the moment for you in cannabis? The lack of access is clearly the main issue at the moment. And particularly the, I mean, we've not touched on the paediatric prescribing, but the situation with epilepsy and full plant products is is just it's just not sustainable. It's just yeah. It's you just expand terrible. on that for everyone. Well, only that the um, families who unfortunately find themselves in this position where the only medicine that's working for their child is full plant cannabis based medicine. That you know, there's difficulties with finding prescribers because they're just they just don't exist. I think there's one or two possibly at the moment, mm. um, and the fact that products is quite often so expensive and the financial commitments are just um are not sustainable so it's just a really difficult situation for these families and for these children yeah. uh, and i just can't get my head around why it can't be addressed properly and and sorted so i think that's remains the main um issue to overcome and then i'd like to just see a more open approach to looking at cannabis-based medicines for common conditions like pain and mood disorders like anxiety and things that a lot of people suffer with. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's certainly, probably... got a, certainly got a big uh, mental health bill in this country well, yeah, exactly. following on from COVID and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, long COVID. That's a really, struggled. Long COVID is also something we don't know a lot about at the moment, but it may be that it's uh, there's a lot of people out there that are going to suffer the long-term effects of COVID. And we know that again, it comes down to these kind of chronic quite hard to define conditions sometimes that don't respond well to, to conventional treatments. So I think there's promise in that, in that area, perhaps um, could be some interesting data that comes through. Cool. And then my, my last question is I'm giving you my crystal ball. Like, what are you, what are you sort of looking, you're looking out over 2022, maybe even go a little bit into 2023. Yeah. What do you think are going to be the exciting developments that happen in, in cannabis? I'd like to see a shift towards supporting independent prescribers to prescribe cannabis. So uh, I'm working on a project in that in that sort of space, but to try and give those doctors the tools they need to prescribe outside of a clinic. So I think a lot of private specialists don't necessarily want to be employed by clinics. They're just happy in, in their established practice. So uh, some of those doctors, I don't think, feel they've got the skills or the support they need to prescribe. So I think we'll see a shift to more independent prescribing. Mm-hmm. And um, in the longer term, I'm just going to keep up the so this sort of proactive role in the GP community and try and do more teaching directly to GPs. So I think that's kind of one of the ways of breaking down barriers and mm-hmm. hopefully improving access. Well, that's great. Well, Leon... Uh, as always it's great to talk to you i think just also a big thank you from from us and everyone that's listening for all the work that you're doing in the space because you know it does take courage and and bravery to kind of go out there and and you know put on the the right message for cannabis and all of the people that need the plant as a medicine so thank you for all the work you're doing in the space and also thank you for joining me today and always providing such great insights into what's going on around medicinal cannabis. It's been a pleasure, Charlie. Thanks again. Well, wasn't that epic stuff from Leon? Loved it. Um, I really feel that we're so close to the dam breaking in the UK. Obviously, there's a Herculean amount of work going in from everything he's doing with the PCCN and beyond. Uh, as we start to see more doctors, uh, you know, ready, willing and able 
to prescribe cannabis, it really just bodes well for those patients that need it. And uh, let's just hope that it keeps accelerating at pace. And, you know, we start to see the positive results from all of this uh, work and all of the energy and effort going in. Next week, we head back to the US of A and sunny, sunny California, the home of cannabis. For regular listeners of the show, you will have heard many of my guests uh, in this season name check Luke Anderson from Can. Uh, Can is the microdose cannabis beverage. He's one of the trailblazers of the industry. Can is like the darling of the industry over there at the moment. Uh, the way they're coming across, the way that brand is, is developing is, is sensational. And I'm delighted to say that we finally got him. He's coming on. Uh, he's going to join me to talk about beverages, about cannabis, about form factors, building his amazing company, diversity, and everything in between. I can't wait. Uh, but for now, as always, stay safe, stay well, and I will see you in the future. The Glow Show. We believe in the power of cannabis.